0: From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida
1: Gators.
2: Now, the Gators at 4th and 13. On this down... This game, the Gators are four for four on fourth
0: downs. Snap to Greer. Greer looking, 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 throws the ball, got a receiver. There's a catch made on the near sideline. Down the right side, 35-30. It'll be Callaway down the sideline. He's going to score! He's going to score! He's going to score! It's a touchdown! Oh my! Oh my! Antonio Callaway, 63-yard touchdown!
3: I just saw magic,
0: wow, tremendous protection. Will Greer stood there, Callaway ran a deep curl pattern to get beyond the down markers, and Will Greer threw a laser. Callaway caught it, turned to the outside, went down the boundary, picked up a block, and unbelievable. Here is another 55-yard attempt to win the game. There's the snap. The set down, the kick is up. It's gonna be off the right. It is gonna be no good. Wide right, wide right. Gators win the game. Oh, my. Bedlam in the swap. Florida has beaten Tennessee again. 11 years in a row. Coming from behind in the fourth quarter again. And the Gators are 4-0 and with a 28-27 win. Over Tennessee!
4: Days later, the echoes continue to ring out in the swamp thanks to Callaway all the way. Welcome to Gator Tales, I'm Adam Schick. Florida's miraculous comeback over Tennessee will no doubt stand the test of time, and it also defied the odds of this 2015 college football season. There have been 191 games through the first four weeks that saw a team lead by at least 13 points in the fourth quarter, and in only three instances did the trailing team come back to win. So put a feather in the cap of Jim McElwain and company for that one, and in the process, they won their 11th straight game over Tennessee, which is now the longest winning streak for either side in the storied Florida-Tennessee rivalry. But as much fun as it is to reminisce about the magic in the swamp, it's also time to start looking ahead to one of the toughest tests for the Gators in recent memory, with the third-ranked Ole Miss Rebels coming to town for a showdown under the lights. We'll review Florida's challenging past against Ole Miss with Mick Hubert, chat with junior wide receiver Ahmad Fullwood about his unsung role in the play of a lifetime, find out how new wide receivers coach Kerry Dixon has invigorated Florida's pass catchers, hear from Jim McElwain and Scott Carter about the difficult task of running down the Rebels, and catch up with former All-American and UF Hall of Famer Alex Brown. But first... You can't talk about the previous battles between Florida and Ole Miss without discussing their last meeting in 2008. Florida was 3-0 going into the game on September 27th when Ole Miss came to the Swamp and shocked the Gators 31-30. You'll hear more about the details of the game a little bit later, but that's not what dominated the headlines in the aftermath of the upset. Tim Tebow was the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and had his eye on leading the Gators on a historical ride. But with the reality setting in that a perfect season wasn't in the cards, an emotional Tebow stepped up to the podium at the post game press conference and delivered this statement.
1: I'm sorry, I'm extremely sorry. You know, we were hoping for an undefeated season, that was my goal, something the floor's never done here. But I promise you one thing a lot of good will come out of this. You have never seen any player and the entire country plays hard as I will play the rest of the season, and you never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season, and you never see a team play harder than we will the rest of this season.
4: God bless. What followed that speech was a masterful run that saw the Gators blow through the rest of their schedule on the way to the third national title in school history. The speech became the promise and further cemented the Tebow legacy in a way that the trophies and accolades couldn't touch. Tebow recently returned to Gainesville as part of the SEC nation crew and reminisced about that fateful day in September of 08 and the unforgettable words that followed it.
1: We didn't play as good as we could have um, and I remember we took our foot off the gas a little bit and I think we were coasting and I think that was you know, a lot to do with my lack of leadership in that game and uh, we made silly mistakes. and. I think that we could have played a lot better. And you have to give Old Miss a lot of credit. They had a lot of really good players in that game, and they played well, and they got hot at the end, and we missed our opportunities. Um, we missed our opportunity in fourth and one. We missed the extra point. Um, obviously, you still can't really tell I even remember it, though. <laughs> that saturday after the game that was for the fans because for me i grew up a florida fan i'll always be a florida fan and that was something that i wanted for you the wanted florida to go gator defeated, didn't you? yes i did and that was my goal but the next day in that practice and our time with the team and
4: talking to the team and everything that happened that day that was more for the players Although the speech is now emblazoned on the side of the Heavener Complex, the always humble Tebow downplays the role of the speech itself in the Gators title run, but recognizes the importance of the lessons learned from that loss.
1: But yeah, the game was hurt, but I think it really helped us overall as a team because I think we learned from it, I think we grew from it, and I think our leadership improved, I think our focus improved, and I think our attitude improved from
4: that. 2008 wasn't the only year that the Gators were shocked in the swamp by the Rebels. As you're about to hear from Mick Hubert, they've been one of Florida's toughest opponents over the years. But before we get to that, on the heels of Saturday's epic conclusion, we ask the voice the Gators to recall other legendary moments he's witnessed in the swamp. Hey, hey. Rewind it
2: back to 1997 again, and we've talked about this previously, is that when Doug Johnson makes the throw to to Kwezi Green against FSU, and the irony here is two of the best pass plays in the Swamp history in my opinion, both went for 63 yards. Callaway on Saturday, and this was 63 yards also in the 97 game to Quezzy Green. 2.33 to play. Johnson in the shotgun takes the snap. He's looking and looking, throwing a deep ball down the right sideline. It's caught by Green at the
0: 40. He's at the 30, cutting left side. Kwezi Green, 20, trying to get outside. Stiff arms a man, and down at the 18-yard line. Oh, my.
2: I guess when you go back to 2006 and Jarvis Moss, a big tall kid, I think he's about 6'6 or so, and he leaps up and blocks a South Carolina field goal try, which would have given the Gamecocks a victory. Uh, That place exploded that night also. Here we go.
0: From 48 yards. And the ball game. The snap. The kick. It's been blocked again! Oh, my! It's been blocked again! And the clock is going to run out! And the Gators have won the game! Oh, my! The play of the day! Have you seen everything now? They blocked three kicks today, and they've won the game! Oh, my! Unbelievable! Unbelievable! He never had a chance! Oh,
4: my!
2: Talking about plays at the end of the game, you know, it's got to be Callaway and Moss, and then wasn't the last play of the game, uh, but the, the Quezzy Green catch against FSU would be
4: right at my top. For people in the stadium, they said it was just unlike anything they ever experienced in that moment because of the noise and that, that thunderous rapture that you talk about. What's it like in the press box when you're calling that and all that sound all the energy is just coming straight into the booth
2: well the first thing you want to do is you want to get everything right you want to set it up but you want to do it with, with drama you want to create the picture but you want to have a little bit of drama uh, my broadcast I try and take people on roller coaster rides I mean if you want a guy that's just going to be you know barely move the needle and it's always at fifty percent then I'm not your guy you know there are going to be times when the needle is going to be at ten percent and it's going to be at fifty and it's going to be at hundred and ten we're going to peg that needle a little bit if you're, if you're running the audio board when i'm broadcasting you kind of got to be ready because you just never know and that was the play that particular play there was a crescendo that built and i've always said i am nothing more than a mirror uh or a mouthpiece of what's happening in front of me and in this particular game when that catch was made you could hear the crowd get excited and even more excited and then it just went it just ramped itself up so i'm i've kind of got a mirror that and so i'm just not wired in such a way that uh, 90,000 people would be going crazy and i'd be sitting there the model of decorum calling a touchdown Like, I really could care less who won the game. Uh, That's always been my mindset to capture the moments. You know, uh, Jack Brickhouse, who did the Chicago Cubs. Hall of Fame broadcaster in baseball for so many years. I watched him so many times as a kid, and he he was doing bad Chicago Cubs teams. And he would come on and say, here we are, always ready to capture the headlines as they're being made. And most of the time, Jack was doing a Cub team that was 25 games under 500. But, you know, you just want to get it right. You want to get factual. And and the way I'm wired, I do it with energy and enthusiasm, and that's that's the only way I know how to call a game.
4: Ole Miss comes in this weekend. This is not a team Florida plays a lot, but when they played him in the Swamp, it's produced some, some challenging times. Most recently, one of the more famous moments in Florida football history the post-game speech by Tim Tebow.
2: Yeah, that was a real stunner of a game, because I think we had won like 21 of the last 22 before then. We had it going on, 06 0- champions, 07 Heisman Trophy winner, having another great season in 08, and here comes Ole Miss in. and you know, this is a game that the Gators, I mean, no one saw this one coming either. You know, the Gators had the lead at the half. We're up 17-7 at the half, and uh, you know, you're, you're getting a Soft drink at halftime thinking, you know, well, we can close this one out. You know, we're, they're not going to beat us. And Tim Tebow, as great as he is, fumbled the ball. And uh, it, it cost us, uh, you know, possession, of course. And and they went on and they got in front of us. And we came back and it was 31-30. I'll never forget. That was the final score. But we had the 31st point blocked. Tried to kick the tying PAT and it got blocked. You know, it was one of those games you scratch your head and you go, oh, I can't believe this. It was it was just for a negative reason just as unforgettable as Saturday was. And we talked about this earlier also, Adam, that when I came in, the voice of the Gators, very young, excited you know, and my first game, and it's, I think it was like September 12th or 13th, it was late for a first game, and there were no pre-SEC warm-up games. Game one, we're playing Ole Miss, and my first game as a broadcaster. We make three turnovers, and they go out of the Florida field with a 24-19 win. You know, and I'm driving home, and, and I remember the fans calling in on the dial score and boy, everybody was so upset, and you know, everybody was getting ripped on, and one guy said, Yeah, the new announcer, he he's he's awful too. You know, I'm going, I had nothing to do with it, you know. I'm I'm on one I'm owing one already, I'm I'm being trashed, you know. So but that as I look back on it, I mean it's been tough for Florida and, and Ole Miss. I think they've beaten us in three now, three of the last four times they've been to Florida field. So it's just again, we don't play them a lot. But the uh, Ole Miss and even Mississippi State; those those Mississippi schools have been tough on us. You know, we we had we had a home and home series with them in '94, and, and we beat them uh, in Oxford, and uh, we, we were great in that game. I remember we held them like 57 yards in the last three quarters of the game, and, and Werfel was was uh, I think uh, then a, uh, a sophomore, and then we beat them back here in the swamp. Uh, we scored touchdowns in the first three plays of the game, first three possessions. Bam, 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 touchdown. And at that time, I remember we had scored touchdowns ten. Consecutive possessions. Seven the previous game in the first three. Ten straight possessions we had scored touchdowns dating back up until at that, that time, and then we didn't play them again until Ron Zook was here in '02 and '03. And uh, you know, for what Peyton Manning could not do, Eli Manning did do, and uh, he beat us twice in, in those years. In fact, the one year he beat us, he did not throw a touchdown pass. He had no touchdown passes. And as great as Rex Grossman was for our Gators at quarterback, Rex threw four picks in that game. And there again, when Ole Miss has beaten us, by and large, it's been because we have turned the ball over. And, and that's what happened there. Now we see this, this addition here of the 2015 Rebels, uh, arguably one of the best teams they've had in school history. It's certainly the best they've had in, in decades. We'll have our hands full on this one.
4: The Gators will likely need a big night on offense against the Rebels, who lead the SEC in scoring by a wide margin. That means a strong showing from the wide receivers, a young but emerging group of playmakers. One of the elder statesmen by default is junior Ahmad Fullwood, and we started our chat with him by getting a feel for what the mood on the sideline was like when the Gators were trailing late in the swamp. We haven't been down much this
5: season, so it was kind of like a a culture shock to us, but I mean... The third quarter was kind of rough, but when we got to the fourth quarter, we knew we had to turn it up. So once we, you know, started getting the momentum our way, probably with the with the Beacocks fumble recovery, that's when you know the momentum shifted, and that's when the whole game started going our way.
4: You were part of one of the great plays probably in the history of Florida football. Describe what was going on during the Antonio Callaway touchdown. We ran a, a specific play that we usually run in practice, so you know I, I
5: knew where the ball was going, so I, I did my job. You know, me and BP did our job to get him open, and I knew he was going to be open because of the way t- uh, Tennessee's defense was playing. So. When Will threw him the ball, I knew he was going to catch it, but you know I didn't know if he was going to go down or what he was going to try to you know, do. So I started running towards him to you know get ready for the next play, and, and then I see him turn around and, and break out. And Once he breaks out, I, I knew he was going for a touchdown because Brandon Powell came down and uh, cracked back on, on one of Tennessee's defenders and took out three of them, actually. He was out from the gates in there, and I just, was just running to catch up to him.
4: The UF Geological Society is currently investigating whether or not an earthquake occurred during that moment because of the noise. What's that like? I mean, honestly, I couldn't even hear a single fan. I was just so
5: focused on, you know, him getting in the end zone. And I didn't realize how loud it was until after he had scored and we were both in the end zone. And everyone came up to him and, you know, everyone's yelling and it was crazy.
4: You're an upperclassman now and you've seen a lot of things during your time here. What have you seen out of Will Greer especially in that fourth quarter in the way that he really grew up in front of everybody? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. I mean,
5: he matured a lot in that fourth quarter because, I mean, he took some shots that I didn't think he was going to get up from. He was he was battling through a lot of stuff, so he definitely matured and, you know, he put the team on his back and, and he made stuff happen. You've
4: gone through three different offenses in your three years here. What's been the biggest adjustment to this offense under Coach McElwain? Probably the details. Everything's very, very detailed. Everything's very specific. So
5: it's all about you know, being somewhere at the right time, You know, making the right cuts, because quarterbacks got to be ready. You got to be ready, so it's all very specific.
4: Florida, LSU, arguing over who is DBU. You get to go up against those guys all the time in practice. Who is the toughest one to match up with
5: well Vern obviously is going to be one of the tougher ones uh they're all really good though Jalen Tabor is a really tough guy uh he's long you know he can play the ball real well uh Quincy's a stronger one so is B Pool. so I mean I, I think they're all tough guys you know to go against in practice I mean Keanu's one of, one of those guys and you know in the run periods that you know he gives you a challenge as well he's also a really good cover guy as well May you know Marcel, Nick, all those guys.
4: So I think they're all really good. What's it like going up against them all the time? Is that a a friendly rivalry? How competitive does that get in practice? Uh, In practice, it's, you know, we're enemies in practice. I
5: mean, we don't see each other as friends. Uh, but uh, after practice over, you know, we're all friendly
4: again, but, I mean, it's it's all to get us better. What are some DBs that you look at that you say, I want to take on that guy, I want to try and beat that guy deep? I mean, you got to go after the best. I mean, you want to play a guy like Richard
5: Sherman or like Pat Peterson. Those are guys, you you know, they're the best in the business. I mean, you always want to go against the best, though.
4: We talked to Quincy Wilson a few weeks ago, and he talked about – the mind games that DBs have to play with receivers, and how it's—it's really—it's a confidence thing. You have to break them from your side of it. How does that work? Sometimes you get that
5: one-on-one matchup where you know you, you got to handle that business. But in a receiver mindset, you know you—you you just gotta pretty much in the same aspect break their will. You gotta play with mind games. You gotta—you know—be deceitful. You gotta be an actor.
4: It's kind of the same thing on both sides. This weekend, you're playing the Rebels. What are some of the most rebellious things you remember doing as a kid? I got my first bike for Christmas when I was, like,
5: eight, and it was, like, one of those BMX trick bikes, so, like, you think you can do all those tricks and stuff. The way the condo I lived at was set up, they had, like, a sidewalk that, like, was four feet above the ground. It didn't have a railing, so you could kind of ride your bike off the thing. So I thought I was cool and I, I could, you know, ride it off, but there was, like, a little wood piece that kind of, like, kept every like all the, the sidewalk together. And when I hit the wood piece, I flipped over the bike and, you know, (laughs) fell four feet down. The bike landed on me. So that was probably one of the most rebellious things I've done.
4: Was that the last time you rode that bike? Uh, It wasn't the last time
5: I rode that bike. It was just the last time I decided to, you know, try to be a BMX bike rider, you know, a trickster.
4: The last time Florida played Ole Miss, it was the famous Tim Tebow promise speech. What do you remember about that when that happened? Uh, I wasn't really big into, you know, to, like specific college football
5: teams. but I, I love watching the sport, though, so ESPN had it all over everything. I didn't really understand the magnitude of, you know, what he was saying or anything. Um, I, I mean, the promises written out there outside of complex. But... Um, I mean, I was just like, this guy's really passionate about what he's talking about. Some people hated it, some people loved it, but I was just like, I didn't really know what was going on. How much can you recite off the top of your head? Any of it? I just remember him saying, you'll never see someone work as hard as me or, you know, a team bounce back, you know, as hard as this or something like that.
4: That was pretty close. That was pretty good. Let's talk about Ole Miss a little bit. What stands out from the Rebels when you watch them on film?
5: Uh, Their D-line. Their their D-line is probably the strong part of their defense, so they're, they're a pretty good D. We're looking at some places to exploit them. Um, they're a solid defense so I will say that uh, I've watched the game where they played Alabama you know they can make plays on offense as well so it's going to be a challenge
4: but I think we're ready for it Coach Mack has said multiple times throughout the week in his press conferences this is a team that should come in here and beat you guys up pretty badly when you hear that and the players hear that what's the response is that a motivational tactic? Yeah it's definitely a
5: motivational tactic because I mean we don't believe that we know we can come compete with this team no matter what ranking they are so he's just trying to motivate us
4: In his three years as a Gator, Fullwood has had a different position coach every single year. In a role that has seen more turnover than the defense against the dark arts teacher at Hogwarts, Florida has found some stability, and more importantly, results from Kerry Dixon II. Jeff Cardozo caught up with the new coach and found out how he changed the tenor of the wide receiver room from day one. I'll
3: tell you one thing that's interesting. One of the things we talked about was decisions In life and in football and one of the ways that I implemented it was I started reading a book to him you know and and it's a book about life so it's the playbook for manhood some of those things they really really enjoy and then they start to understand hey this man really cares about me as a person not just as a football player and I think that's where the buy-in factor comes from I think that's huge in everything that we do you know those guys really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and that's the approach I took as
6: far as coming in and taking this job. What's the development been like uh, on your guys in getting them better route running?
3: Well, we've done a really good job of uh, taking everything in parts. So the first thing was just the top of the route. You know that's one of the things that we really tried to focus on early on because we did a lot of drifting in and out of routes so we wanted to make sure they understood the importance of why you stick at the top of a route to get great separation and why you don't want to drift on certain routes as well to give DB an advantage.
6: I bet the the wide receiver room was pretty excited after what happened last game against Tennessee and obviously Callaway gets all the attention but Brandon Powell should get some too and I'm sure you guys hyped him up in that meeting, great block, freed up uh, that whole side of the field so is that something you guys emphasize on all the plays
3: Uh, we definitely emphasize it on every single play we actually have a production chart that the guys come in and they look at they actually see it as kind of their report card if you know what I mean so Brandon actually had a record high and I think a part of that was that big block that he had at the end of the game so it creates a competition it brings a spotlight to not just the guy who had to catch but a guy who helped him get there
6: we talked to different positions. I remember talking to Bullard after the Kentucky game, and, and he says he was going after it with a couple of the D-line guys in that competition factor, so it made him better. So is it kind of the same thing? If one guy makes a play, then he starts talking trash to the other guy, and then he wants to go make a play?
3: Yeah, it's funny to hear them when they come in and they look at the production chart and they talk about, man, uh, I should have had this, I should have <laughs> had this on that play, and they get to talking to each other about it, and they want to compete and they want to have the highest grade. So I think the competition is built through different things like that, and any way we can get that done is what we try to do.
6: You're down on the field during the games. Does that help with the guys? Because sometimes in that Tennessee game we saw maybe some struggles early, but then obviously a lot of production in the fourth quarter. What's it like being down there and being able to talk to those guys throughout the game?
3: It's awesome. I love being on the field and seeing that look in their eyes and understanding how I should approach the situation and uh, how to get the most out of them. Man, I can make an adjustment right there on the spot when I see it. So I really like being down there with the guys and being able to go through and talk them through the game and actually calm them down if they're getting wound up.
6: Because there are a lot of young guys, is that the case? Do you see that, that maybe they're, they're too pumped up, too amped up, and you got to calm them down a little bit? Or what's that process like?
3: Well, it's interesting because it's only with certain guys, but the majority of our guys, they do a good job of not panicking. You know, they do a good job, and I think it's because of the preparation and how we practice, is the reason their demeanor is really so mellow on the field. You know, some guys, all you have to do is give them a quick reminder and they go right back to where they belong.
6: You guys have done a really good job of distributing the ball to a whole bunch of different people. Do do you like that? Do you like maybe going after one or two guys? Uh, I like the
3: distribution. because it doesn't give standing targets for a defense and they have to key a certain guy. So when you distribute the ball to different people, then that gives the defense more to worry about. Now, as offensive staffs, we try to have get it twos. so you have certain situations where you want certain guys to have the ball. But I think the distribution is great for the room and it's great for us as far as creating advantages.
6: Well, you got to create a lot uh, against a, a tough old Miss defense. Uh, talk about some of the things that they do. Um, obviously, they got a guy that can get to the quarterback, so he's going to have to get rid of it quick.
3: Yeah, definitely. That guy has a high motor. We have to make sure we have a body on him at all times so that we can open up the offense and do some of the things that we really want to do. On the back end, All right, they have great team speed. Those guys really come down, and they get there with an attitude. So we have to make sure – that we go out and execute first and foremost up front and then on the back end get open.
6: Is it week to week on you you look at film, see plays that work, that you're now implementing a few things that that you did during this week to try to be successful?
3: Yeah, you try to go in and um, look at things that you did well. You know, what can your quarterback do? Uh, What do the receivers feel comfortable with? That helps you as far as continuing to grow and do things off of things that you've
4: already done. Ole Miss presents some very difficult matchups all over the field that Florida will have to contend with on Saturday night. You're about to hear what Jim McElwain and Gator Zone senior writer Scott Carter have to say about some of those challenges. But first, Scott points out that right now, Florida is riding a big wave of momentum and turning heads nationally.
7: The Gators returned to the top 25 this week, which... In a lot of years, that's not a big news, but in 2015 it is because they haven't been there in over two years. This is a Florida team that everyone kind of knows is in transition. You really didn't know what to expect with the quarterback concerns, a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator. Yeah, Here they are, they sit 4-0, returned to the rankings, and now they're playing their biggest game at home in quite some time against the number three Ole Miss. So uh, I think the atmosphere around campus and just around – you know social media there's there's more buzz about this game about the Gators and the way they won against Tennessee than and I've seen in quite some time.
0: Should be another fun environment. Be remiss not to say, man, the fans were awesome, and you know, I, I give them as much credit in that win. By the noise that was happening on that last drive, that maybe forced a tackle to move a little early and lose five yards. That was nothing we did. That was what the swamp did.
4: That's why it's such a special place. When you looked at the schedule coming into this year, it had an interesting kind of step ladder look to it. Each week got a little bit tougher than the last, and this is obviously the crescendo of that to this point incredibly talented Ole Miss team it's riding a, a real high right now for their program their signature win obviously early in the season came at Alabama this is a program that
7: hasn't been 4-0 in back-to-back years since 1961 and 62 so we're talking about the buzz here in Gainesville around Florida football well there's also that same buzz out in Oxford around the Ole Miss Hugh Freeze in his fourth year you know he's done a lot kind of rejuvenate that fan base and program and the uh, You know, victory at Alabama two in a row, they haven't done that ever. So this is a program that has a lot of momentum coming into the swamp on Saturday. A lot of talent, you know, starting at quarterback, Chad Kelly, a guy who leads the SEC with over 1,200 yards passing. He runs the offense very well. Jim McElwain said yesterday that,
0: He's got a great grasp of this offense, fun to watch, really fun to watch, and uh, explosive. You know, our secondary, I think this will be a great challenge for them. They're going against these big, tall, fast, wide receivers, see how they handle
4: that. Having a great quarterback is nice, but you have to have guys to get the ball to, and they've also got that, probably the best receiver in the SEC, and also one of the most dangerous tight ends. Besides Laquan
7: Treadwell, Evan Ingram, the tight end, I mean, this is another dangerous player. He certainly has Florida's attention. And, you know, the Gators are without a guy like Jeremy Powell who would play heavily at linebacker in their nickel packages and dimes. So you're going to see a lot of Marcus May again probably. Keanu Neal, those safeties are going to be important to kind of protect that middle of the field. At Ole Miss, they get it done a lot of different ways. I mean, they have a good balance with Jalen Walton at running back, Kelly at quarterback, Treadwell Ingram, a good offensive line, and of course you got a very imaginative
4: offensive coach in Hugh Freeze. Outside of just tapping better, what else are you expecting to see from the Florida defense? They've done a really good job of shutting down the passing attack the last two weeks, but this is obviously the greatest challenge yet.
7: Yeah, with Kelly, he's your traditional drop back passer. Uh, you want to put pressure on him. You know Josh Dobbs of Tennessee last week, a little different type of quarterback.
4: He really hurt Florida with his legs more Kelly is a guy who's going to go back and hurt you with his arm. Jim McElwain talked about how they have so much talent on both sides of the ball, and that's what's really elevated their program. And defensively, that really started when they recruited Robert Kimdichie. It seems like that started this kind of watershed moment for them recruiting-wise.
7: Yeah, that recruiting class from uh, three years ago, I think it was ranked the best in the country by a lot of the uh, recruiting uh, analysts. And It started with uh, Kim Ditchie and he hasn't disappointed. I mean, not only is he just such a disruptive player on defense, the guy has three touchdowns (laughs) (laughs) this year. Why Um, not? Yeah, yeah, they're using him on offense. Uh, He even caught a touchdown pass. So It just shows you, uh, you get one player, an elite player like that. Even in football, it can really change the program if other guys Guys want to play with him and I think
4: we've seen some of that happen at Ole Miss. If you look at Ole Miss's numbers this is probably going to be a high scoring game at least for them so what does Florida have to do offensively to make sure they can keep pace with Ole Miss?
7: You have to think
4: the way Florida won that game with that comeback you
7: know being 13 down the fourth quarter the pass play from Greer to Callaway they converted five fourth downs Three of them were in the fourth quarter. All of that should be a big confidence boost for the skaters' offense. So it's going to be important for them to maybe have some success early against Ole Miss. Try not to fall too far behind and play catch-up because this is a, a team that, you know, if you get too far down against Ole Miss, it will be a difficult challenge. So maybe getting a score early and just really repeating a lot of what they did in the fourth quarter against Tennessee when they were able to finally move the ball consistently, make some big plays, and find the end zone twice.
4: Time now for a quick timeout and another Gator Tales trivia challenge. You've already heard how infrequent wins over Ole Miss have been over the last 30 years, but there have been some triumphs for the Orange and Blue. What school record did Tim Tebow break in Florida's last win over Ole Miss? Email your answers to GatorsPodcast at gmail.com or tweet them at Gators Podcast, and one randomly selected winner will receive a $25 gift certificate to the online Gator Sports Shop. Speaking of record-breaking performances, last week we asked you how many sacks Alex Brown had in Florida's 1999 win over Tennessee. The answer was five, and our randomly selected winner was Troy C. Congrats to Troy, and as a special treat, Gator Visions Whitney Hayworth tracked down Florida's career sack leader after his honorary Mr. Tubitz duties last weekend and asked him to travel back in time to his dominating day against the Volunteers.
8: I remember talking a lot of trash the week before in Cosperia like he was upset because I was talking trash and then to go out and have the game that I had, I mean, I can't just take it all as I did this or something like that. my teammates did their job, and I was able to be one-on-one, blocked, and I was i was on a road that night. And the biggest thing about that night is that we won because if we had lost, it wouldn't be such a big game, would it? <laughs> so, like, I'm glad we won. And that's the that's key. I've always been a player. If I had three sacks, four sacks, and we won, that's fine. But if I had no tackles and we won, I'm fine. I got to play better, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You retired officially in 2012. What have you been up to in life after football? Well, I do a couple shows up in Chicago, uh, football analysts. I do radio and TV, and then I work at a logistics company, Coyota Logistics, and it's fun. I like doing that, So, I, and I stay busy. My wife and three kids, I'm pretty busy. <laughs>
0: you get to watch a,
8: a lot of younger guys play. Who are some players, whether they're at Florida or other schools, that you see and you're like, they're going to be great players in the NFL one day? Well, it's hard to project in the NFL. Great players in college don't necessarily translate to the NFL. And average players turn out to be pretty doggone good in the NFL. So, but the guys that have the traits, I think Alex McAllister, I think he's really good. Buller's really good. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, Robinson, he's a big body, fast guy that can catch, snag the ball out of the air. And then you look at Hurd on the other side. I mean, he's a big running back, hard to bring down. So there, those are some guys that I'm pretty sure the NFL scouts are kind of drooling at and hoping that they continue to do well.
0: And then back to Mr. Two Bits. That yeah. atmosphere standing at the 50-yard line, what's it like being back in the swamp and seeing all these fans you know cheering for
6: I, you?
8: I, I can't even. Be, I can't believe I was nervous. I play so many games here. I'm so nervous when I walk out there. I'm just, I'm just hoping I don't trip, you know? like It's one of those things about trip on my face. I mean,
4: it's family here, so I guess everybody would laugh. <laughs> so it was great. And that's going to do it for this week. Remember to submit your trivia answers to gatorspodcast at gmail.com or tweet them at gatorspodcast and use those same outlets to reach out and let us know what you think of Gator Tales and what you'd like to hear in the future. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher and give us a review. Make sure to catch all the action on Saturday night at 7 on ESPN when Florida looks to rekindle the magic in the swamp to pull off the upset against the third-ranked Ole Miss Rebels. You can also listen live on the Gator IMG Sports Network with coverage beginning at 4 o'clock from Gainesville. Our next podcast will be available next Thursday and will preview the start of a grueling road stretch for Florida that begins in Columbia, Missouri. So don't miss the latest installment of Gator Tales. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. And I'll see you in the swamp.